Well, good morning, everyone. Grace to you all and peace from God, our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, and in the power of our Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not easy to be the church. This is week seven of Easter, the last Sunday of the Easter season. And the Easter season is really all about what it means to be the church, the called out people of God who live in the power of the resurrection. That's what the Easter season is all about. But after 15 months of navigating this pandemic and maybe seeing a little glimpse of hope on the horizon, what we know is that the church and the people of God have changed. We are being challenged to ask this question. What does it mean to be the church today? How is God calling us into community with one another when we've not gathered in person for so long? It's a hard question because we don't know the future. You know, everybody knows that oysters sometimes make pearls. That little tidbit's been used to make a lot of different illustrations. But did you know that pearls don't do that automatically? When an oyster somehow gets a piece of grit or a bit of sand inside its shell, one of two things will happen. Either the oyster will make and create a pearl, or it will die. The pearl, a thing of beauty and value, is the oyster's way of staying alive after something very irritating has gotten past its shell and into its heart. question is this. Well, Zion Lutheran in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who's a part of the body of the church of the resurrected Jesus Christ, take this irritation known as this COVID pandemic and make a pearl out of this very thing that has invaded our lives, or will it cause us to die? We're not just a virtual church. I like to say we are now a deployed church, a church, a people of God who have been deployed in our homes, into our communities. But the question is, now that we're deployed, will we take what seems like death and make a pearl of this irritation? The very thing that has invaded our lives, our hearts, will we make resurrection out of this moment of our life together as the church of Jesus Christ? Will this be an Easter moment for us? You know, most of us have memorized what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Depending on our personal preference, it may begin our Father in heaven or our Father who art in heaven. But some have contended that to call this the Lord's Prayer is maybe a misnomer. They argue that maybe this should actually be called the disciples' prayer, because Jesus was teaching us how to pray. But the gospel lesson for today is actually Jesus praying for His disciples. This is actually Jesus' prayer for us. And did you see what He was praying for? He was praying for our unity, for our joy, for our safety and protection. Jesus says we're not of the world, but we should nonetheless remain in the world. 
Because our ministry is to be in the world and is to be for the world. In fact, this Gospel of John would later go on to say, as much as there's talk about the world in the Gospel reading, he would go on to say, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son, Jesus. It's interesting that really Jesus isn't asking in this prayer that He prays for His disciples on His last night after He'd already eaten a meal with them and washed their feet and talked about love. He's asking that His followers be protected, not from harm, but He's asking that they be allowed to continue in God's name that they would keep God's name, and that they would stay true to God's name, that they would experience unity, the same kind of unity that is reflected in the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because this is what we know. Division is what we experience in our world. Jesus knows that disunity is a threat to the future of the church. We know disunity is present. We've experienced it out in the world. We've seen it in our homes. We've seen it in our politics. We've seen it in our communities. But it's also part of the Christian story. Whether it was when the disciples tried to prevent the children from coming towards Jesus or Judas conspiring with those temple officials to have Jesus arrested, or the early church holding its first meeting to argue about whether or not people had to adopt certain Jewish customs to be a legitimate Christian, or maybe even today's lesson from Acts about Justice and Matthias. I mean, you don't even hear about Justice anymore. What happened to the poor guy? He got number two. Story of my life. But our ancestors in the faith experienced this division just like we do because this world is still broken. This unity, division is real. But yet, God's name is also real. Our God is alive. And God is the very one that creates order out of chaos that takes division and brings unity, the very one that takes brokenness and brings wholeness. You and I may well have a lot of things that we disagree about. And some of those things we disagree about work against the unity that Jesus wants us to share. And that unity can get in the way or or can help us stay as we are. It's It's the division that gets in the way of the work that we have to do together. So let me ask this question. I started with it. I'm going to come back to it. What does it mean to be the post-pandemic church? What does it mean when, when this pandemic is finally over? We don't have to worry about who's close, who isn't, mass, not mass. What happens when all of that is behind us? Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure it's not like flicking a light switch where all of a sudden we'll be back to what we call normal. Instead, I think it'll be a gradual emergence into whatever our new normalized future will look like. 
But there are a few things that I do know for certain. That the post-pandemic mission of the church of Jesus Christ is unchanged. It has been there from the beginning. That we as a church are to proclaim the saving power of God in Christ Jesus. That we as the church are to call people back to God in repentance. That we as the church are called to gather people to worship and to praise God each Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, God says. This mission has not changed since the day of Pentecost. How we carry out this mission, that's what shifts across time and place. The mission itself, it's unchanged. It's there for you and me. We need God's presence in our lives and in this world. We need that unity. And I want to say that I believe this pandemic, if it hasn't already, I think it's helped us refocus on the grace and mission that God has set before us. We're still called to be the salt, the leaven, and the light of the world. We're still called to bring good news to the poor. I think we're called to make a pearl, to be resurrection life, to be the deployed people of God. Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus prays that we might continue in God's name. Jesus prays that we might experience a unity in our faith that is stronger than anything that threatens to divide us. You see, Jesus prays that this unity will strengthen us so that we can live in this world as a reflection of our Lord's presence. And Jesus says, I want you to be known by love. Love takes unity. It's really hard to live love if you're doing it all by yourself. But what comes along and what this pandemic has done for us is it's created change. And change creates division. It's created challenge, and challenges create fear, and often fear creates division. And amongst all of it has come a lot of chaos. Because chaos arrives when we can't see a future clear enough, and we go in all kinds of different directions. And we lose sight of what we are called to do who we are called to be. We lose sight of who we are and whose we are. Children of God. And that's why these last weeks of Easter and the Easter season, we have been hearing that again and again. You are children of God, John says. And so for us to maybe refocus a little bit on our mission, I want to think about eight disruptive trends that I think the post-pandemic church is going to need to study. Carrie Newwolf, a pastor, podcaster, and leadership teacher, suggested these. And I like what he had to say. So here are eight things. Number one, the majority of attenders may no longer be in the room. In the future, the number of people participating in the mission who are not in the building on Sunday morning will surpass the number of people participating in the mission inside the building. Your church is still around. It's just left the building. It's been deployed. In the post-pandemic church, it's possible that the majority of those who attend a worship service 
as well as those who are most engaged people in the mission and ministry may not be in the building. Number two, growing churches will shift their focus from gathering to connecting. Historically, the church has wagered almost everything on gathering people in a building. Growing churches will focus less on gathering and focus much more on connecting. The church facilitates groups but doesn't host them in a centralized facility. So gathering people on a Sunday morning will be important as ever. It just won't happen to be in a building the church owns. Number three, ministry is not about filling church buildings, but rather a focus on fulfilling the mission. Often arguments include things like Christians can't forsake getting together. Or another argument, we have to gather in community. That is deeply true. It is one of the things that I have missed so much in these last 15 months. What's not true or biblical is that the gathering has to happen in a building owned by the church. At stake is this. Is it a full room versus a fulfilled mission? If the focus is on filling a room, the church will miss the biggest opportunity to fulfill its mission. Because if the size of your vision shrinks to the size of the room that you can fill, you've missed the church's mission, God's mission. Number four, growing churches will see the internet and their buildings differently. So, with all this, what do we do with the building? Great question. You use it to equip people, not just gather them. People will gather in the building, absolutely. But what we know is the church facilities in the future will be places where people will gather to be equipped to do ministry during the week. Right now, most of us pastors are using church online to get people in the building. What we know is that's shifting, and that as pastors, we will use the building to reach people online. Number five, content alone won't cut it. Community and connection will. Yes, content matters because sharing the Word of God matters. It matters immensely. However, many Christians now uh, realize that they can watch and listen to their favorite preachers and content creators and voices in the world today at any time, all for free. And most of them out there have more money, have more expertise, and and can do it in a much more amazing way than some of us pastors and churches. We can't compete with that. But connection and community will win out over content in the end. Because the goal of the digital content as a church, it's about connection, not consumption. It's about connection, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Number six, generational differences will become clearer than ever. Well, according to one survey, 71% of the boomer generation preferred physical worship as opposed to digital or hybrid church. About 41% of the Generation Z preferred physical worship. But everyone other than the boomers had preferred more of a hybrid, a combination of in-person and digital gathering together. What we know is, is that our age affects 
what we want and how we see the church. We'll need to adjust to that and make way that everyone in unity can be a part of the church. Number seven, the political and ideological churches will lose influence with the unchurch. We live in a tribalized culture, and it's easy to become tribal. And while that might score some short-term points with like-minded people who are maybe angry or self-righteous, which are both can be characteristics of the political left or right, in the long run it is diminished. It diminishes our influence with those with whom the church is trying to reach. Because unchurched people aren't looking for an echo of culture. They're seeking an alternative to it. The future church will consist of Christians who look and live and sound more like Jesus than the political candidate of their choice. I believe unchurched people aren't looking for politics or ideology. They're looking for Christ, a Savior. And finally, number eight, spiritual entrepreneurs will thrive. The missing gift set in the church is spiritual entrepreneurship. Something the New Testament might call apostleship. It's kind of radical determination, innovation, and fierceness that the Apostle Paul showed. He would be all things to all people, and he would keep going until he couldn't go anymore to share the good news. Whether we call it spiritual entrepreneurship or the gift of apostleship, we need a new generation of those who are like Apostle Paul, who forge out new directions, and new ways to share the good news. Those who experiment boldly, who dare greatly. We need spiritual entrepreneurs who can become the kind of leaders who will find tomorrow's solution when most of us other leaders only see problems. What it means is the church needs to be open to a lot of good and messy and untested, might-not-work initiatives that need to be launched right here. Because it's out of that that the future is born. I know that was a lot. But do you see how much the church has changed? And what it means to be the church today? It's almost as though those of us who are in our left mind need to get in our right mind and those who are in their right mind need to get in their left mind to look at things differently. This week I was reminded of a story about President Thomas Jefferson who was traveling across country on horseback and and they came to this river that was just swollen from a rainstorm and the bridge had been washed out. And they looked at the, the rapid current, and they didn't know what to do. They were a little afraid, but one by one, they started to go into the water and forge their way against that fierce current. There was a guy who wasn't a part of the, the, the team of, of the Thomas Jefferson. They were just, he was kind of watching on the side, and, and he watched one go and then another, and finally he came up to Thomas Jefferson and asked if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. Man climbed on, and shortly the two of them made it across the river. As he slid off the back of the horse, someone on the other side said, Hey, how come you asked the president to give you a lift? The man was shocking me. He didn't even know it was the president. He said this, All I know 
is that on some of your faces was written the word no. But on his face was the word yes. I believe Christ comes to us today with a yes on his face and invites us to have that yes as well. What does it mean to be the post-pandemic church? It means that we are confident in the power, in the presence, and the peace that Jesus Christ brings to us. We are confident that Jesus is praying for us. We are confident that Jesus invites us to come and abide with Him. We are confident in these promises. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I've chosen you. I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, I don't call you anything but friends. Go and bear fruit that will last. We need to cling to those promises. As we make our way through those rivers that are kind of treacherous. And remember always that Jesus is praying for unity in Him and in us. Because the greatest assault of evil is when a person is isolated, alone, and afraid. When Jesus prays, protect them from the evil one, it's really a call to action for us. Christ is sending us out to the lonely, lost, out in the world. Yes, Jesus last week called us friends. And being a friend can be holy work. But today we are sent, like those first apostles back out into the world, to be a witness and to do service in this world that God loves. Remember, you don't belong to the world, but you are sent into the world, the world that God loves. To, lead, to live as reflections of Christ. Jesus knows it won't be easy. And so Jesus prays these words and asks God to remain with you. Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Whatever the church may be, if we are one, as God is one, all will be well. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, whose love knows no ending, we know this life is beautiful and difficult and often at the same time. We don't ask that you take us out of this world. But boy, we need your support and we need your protection. We pray that you would set us apart in truth. That your love is for us and for those we have not met yet. We ask that you would send us out with this beautiful gift of love. That we might bear witness to you, to your grace and goodness. May we hear your voice calling us, wherever we are, that we might feel and share your love 
and be those new apostles, Paul, that will stop at nothing to share your good news. All this we ask through Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our strength. Amen.